This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 24th day of August 2023 as I enter the, I hope, the last day of no air conditioning here in our house. Uh, I got a call from the air conditioning company just before we went on the air. Unfortunately, they will be here sometime today. Uh, because uh, it, it's good because, you know, look, if we, we all have had to deal with heat. Now, I said to my wife, I said, you know, when we were growing up, nobody had air conditioning, right? We survived, and now it's like I've, we've become soft, right? <laughs> Without air conditioning now, we're ready to die. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, but anyway, uh, welcome to uh, Sports Country Radio this morning. And uh, got a bunch to talk about last night. The Red Sox keep their um, – Slim hopes. I mean, I, I guess I, I, they have to be called slim hopes, but uh, keep their their chances alive anyway for a wild card berth. We'll get to that in a minute. Of course, the big news uh, overnight in in real news: uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, the uh, uh, the militia leader that was aligned with, uh, with Vladimir Putin and Russia in their war in Ukraine, apparently was killed in a plane crash yesterday. Uh, it appears that uh, this may have been either a bomb on board or some kind of a rocket attack. And, of course, everybody's talking about it. it may be Putin that was behind it to the surprise of no one. I mean, he has a history of taking out people that oppose him, whether getting them thrown in jail, poisoning them, whatever. Uh, they meet uh, getting thrown out of windows. They meet uh, strange deaths sometimes. You know, and if, if there was any other evidence that we needed to say, you know, to, to, to realize that what we're doing in Ukraine and what the rest of the world is doing in Ukraine is the right thing. I mean, this is just, this is just like a highlight of it, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's like a mafia leader running a country, doing whatever the hell he wants. And because he's, you know, uh, got a huge military and atomic weapons, everybody kind of lets him get away with it. Um, now, the interesting thing is there's other people that are saying, you know what? Don't be surprised if this guy shows up somewhere else. You know, because this this uh, Prigozhin actually had other people change their name to to his uh, to try to uh, hide his travels and stuff. So it's possible the guy that was on the plane wasn't even the real Evgeny Prigozhin. So we'll see. But you know, it's just it's crazy. You know, uh, that a leader of a country like Russia could do what he has done over the years, get away with it, and you know, just because he's got weapons. He's allowed to get away with it, you know. I mean, the United Nations is 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 a joke. We know when you come right down to it, they they're a joke. Um, and the other big news from yesterday, and I actually watched this. I was going to talk about it on the air yesterday, but I you know, there was so much other stuff going on. I actually watched this live just before we went on the air yesterday morning. 
when India uh, landed their uh, Chandrayaan uh, spacecraft on the moon, becoming just the fourth country to ever land um, a spaceship on the moon. And they become the first to ever land one on the lunar south pole. Very cool. There's a lot of thoughts that there's water ice there that uh, it, that could help sustain a, uh, a human colony. Uh, it's got a lander on board, or, I mean a rover on board, so once uh, they get things squared away, they'll be sending the rover out to see what they can find. It's a two-week mission. should be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, they say their next is to try to send astronauts to the moon. And look, it's been a long time since the United States has been to the moon. It's like we kind of focused our attention other places, like especially on Mars and um, asteroids and comets and stuff like that. We've kind of forgotten about the moon, and uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see how uh, India uh, advances on this. And the U.S. already has plans to go to back to the moon, but uh, that still uh, it appears to be several years away so we shall see but a very cool accomplishment it was fun watching that because i am a space geek i have been since i was a kid i've always been fascinated by space if 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 i could go up in a uh a spaceship tomorrow to visit the international space station i would do it in a heartbeat in a heartbeat um i would you know i I always hoped that uh, space travel would become uh, something that the average uh, person could do before I die. Don't think that's going to be the case, but uh, I would love to have a chance to do that. Uh, sports news: um, College football. This is interesting, and, and with what is going on with all the realignment in college football, or and mostly for college football. Um, we talked about to Zan- Dan Zampano about this last week, you know, and we have all the the pack. 12 basically disbanding and some some of it going to the Big 12, some of it going to the Big 10. Now there is news that the ACC uh, is coming closer and closer to adding some schools from out west to the Atlantic Coast Conference, which makes zero sense. Stanford and Cal are the two teams uh, from the Pac-12 that look like they may have a good chance to join the ACC, along with SMU, which is part of the American Conference. Um, you know, and one of the things, people people aren't talking about this, but I think we need to, is, is I mean, I get that uh, it's all about money, right, especially with football, college football. The amount of money in college football is absolutely ludicrous. And But what we're forgetting here is that by doing the realignment the way they are and spreading things out the way that they are, can you imagine the amount of time these kids are going to miss going to class? And oh, don't get me wrong, the idea of a student athlete these days is kind of a joke in sports like basketball and football. Not so much in other, in other sports because um, having worked in college athletics for 25 years, football and basketball are treated completely different than any other sport in college. But, you know... Let's also remember, you know, when people say, well, these guys are going to go play the pros, so it really doesn't matter. It's a feeder system. Let's remember something. That 95-plus percent of kids who play college athletics are never going to play professional sports, either because there isn't an avenue for that or because they're just, you know, they're just not among the elite. You know, look at the number of people that play college football, a minuscule percentage of that go on to play in the NFL. 
college baseball, right? Look at, you know, how many minor league teams do we have, even though they, they, they've, you know, contracted a number a few years ago. But, you know, a small percentage of that actually make the pros. I mean, I saw a thing last week or the week before. They said if you could take everybody who has ever played professional baseball in the history of professional baseball, it wouldn't even fill an entire stadium of 35 or so thousand people. Think about that for a minute. So, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, being crazy when I say that these kids need to go to class and they're there to get a college education. I know a lot of them are on scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're taking a team like Stanford, like California, and putting them in the ACC, where the majority, almost all of the schools are on the East Coast. I mean, Boston College is in the ACC. So if Stanford's going to play Boston College, they've got to travel completely across the country. And they may have to do that the following week as well. Or stay on the East Coast to play another game before they go home and then have to fly east again. You know, it's the amount of travel time, not to mention the amount of money that is going to be involved to have to, for these schools to have to travel like that. It's nuts. The ACC, folks, I think the westernmost school in the ACC is, what, Louisville? Yeah, the, the westernmost football member of the ACC is Louisville, which is 2,300 miles from the Bay Area. Almost all of them are on the East Coast. And uh, the and, and Notre Dame is in the ACC for everything but football. They're still a football independent. They do play a few ACC schools, but uh, you know. So for basketball, the westernmost school in the ACC is Notre Dame, which is in Indiana, which is halfway across the country. So there's going to be a lot of added expense, a lot of added travel time, a lot of more, a lot more time away from class, uh, and uh, it's all. I get it. It's all about money. But at the end of the day, we're, we're losing sight of what college is supposed to be, and these kids are not going to have a chance to have an education the way that they should be able to have their education because they're going to be on airplanes and buses. And, you know, I mean, it's uh, it just it, it, to me, um, it's crazy. It's not right, but money talks. In any, in any walk of life, money talks. doesn't matter whether it's – College athletics or, you know, IBM or whatever. Money talks. You know, the, the, he who has the most money gets their way. That's pretty much the way it is. Uh, before we get to uh, yesterday's uh, baseball games and the Red Sox game from last night, I just wanted to take a second. And, and I didn't – I wanted to address this yesterday, but I didn't actually see the email until last night. I made a comment the other day, a throwaway comment, about the fact that there are so many catcher's interference calls now in the pros, they've set a record this year for number of catcher's interference calls in Major League Baseball. And I, you know, I couldn't, and I said, I don't understand it. You know, and I actually, I threw Dave Massey's name out, who was a college catcher and is an umpire now. And, uh, you know, wh why this is. And he actually consulted with another umpire. And, and one of the things, they've decided that uh, part of the problem is the way that catchers are being taught to frame balls now. Uh, they, they have a different stance and that 
which which helps them block balls. But the new framing technique that they use, according to Dave, is is that they're trying to fool the umpire. So what they do is is that they set up with their glove below the ball, and then they're coming up with the glove to catch the pitch to try to fool the umpire that the pitch is actually closer to being in the strike zone than it actually is because the upward movement of the glove fools the umpire. And by doing that, they're, they're going up and out and reaching farther for the ball, and so it's causing the catcher's interferences. You know, and uh, um, so that's probably why. Makes sense. Makes sense. And as I, I responded to Dave in an email last night, and I said, well, you know, it wouldn't shock me if the reason that this is being done is some egghead, you know, uh, analytics guy said, hey, this is, you know, you want to fool, you know, you want to, we want to get more strike calls. This is how we need to do it. We need to make the umpires, you know, you know, we got to fool them. We got to make it look like, you know, it's got to be like it's an illusion, you know. So now we're turning catchers into magicians. And that's what's causing, at least Dave believes, that's what's causing the catcher's interferences. And it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Um, it's not like the old days. And Dave made the same comment I do. You know, I said, he said, I don't want to sound like a you know, get-off-my-lawn old guy. But back in the old days, it was a matter of when you framed a pitch, you know, and uh, pick out whatever old-time catcher you want, Johnny Bench or Carlton Fisk or uh, Bob Boone or whoever, the idea was to – catch the pitch and frame it, but to basically just leave it there to give the umpire an extra second to look at it. And, you know, by you holding that glove steady, you're making them think twice about maybe calling that a strike, even if it's borderline. You know, now it's it's gotten – it, there's no question, if you watch baseball now, it's gotten a lot more exaggerated with the with the movement of the glove and the way they catch the, the – the, you know, so that the glove is in motion as you're catching the pitch from the pitcher. It's not the way it used to be. You know, and uh, I'm sure that the, uh, the eggheads now will tell you that's the correct way, but it, it just seems to me uh, – you know, it's a, and and maybe the catcher's interferences are an unintended consequence of this uh, this new style. All right, uh, let's get to baseball. Last night, the Red Sox. Um, well, here's what they did right last night. Well, besides win, they they beat the uh, Houston Astros last night, uh, seven to five. But be, beyond that, what they did was they played defense. They played defense. Trevor Story with a great play in the hole. Throws the guy out uh, with uh, a runner on third base and two outs in the eighth inning. Made the difference. And, I mean, he got that thing in the hole, on the backhand, off balance, throws it to Tristan Costas at first base. It's a perfect throw, and that kept the game tied. Uh, We saw Garrett Whitlock last night. make a sliding catch in foul territory. You don't ever see pitchers do stuff like this. And he makes a sliding catch because Connor Wong got hung up with the batter in the batter's box. And so and they actually called him out. So the the put out actually is going to go to Connor Wong because they called it batter's interference on, you know, trying to make the catch by Wong. But to Whitlock's credit, he didn't know that. So he runs into foul territory, slides 
and makes a great catch in, in foul territory, comes up looking like Pigpen. His uniform is an absolute mess. You don't ever see pitchers do things like this. It was a hell of a play. And then he popped right back up to make sure the runners didn't try to advance. <laughs> and it's, you know, as they said, it turns out that it didn't count. And Alex Cora, after the game, when they were talking about it, say, look, just don't tell them that it didn't count. Um, but they played defense. Rafi Devers with a few chances last night, and they were routine plays, and he actually made the routine plays, and he made good throws. So they played defense. Hallelujah. And, you know, was it easy going? Obviously not. It was a, a roller coaster ride. Uh, Chris Sale was not great. I mean, he did strike out nine guys over five innings, but they made him work. They came out, and they were aggressive. I mean, from from Jump Street, they came out. Um, on the first pitch, Jose Altuve, a double. Then, you know, Alex Bregman comes up, single to left. First two guys, whack, whack. First and third, nobody out. And then Tucker gets a sacrifice fly, and then, you know, look, Sale does a good job of getting out of it. Um, ends up giving up a two-run home run to Martin Maldonado, of all people. You know, but he battled, and he only walked one guy, which was great. Went 80 pitches. He did give up the four runs, but he battled, and he kept them in the game. And that's what you need the guy that is supposed to be your ace to do. And he gave them a chance. And, you know, the hero of the game, without question, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, Adam Duval, with a big home run in the 10th inning. But it wasn't just that. It was the fact that just prior to that, he fouled a ball off his uh, ankle or foot, and, I mean, he was in a lot of pain. As, as I said, if that had been me, I'd been on the ground uh, in the fetal position calling for my mommy. You know, and he gets up, and he's, he walks it off, steps back into the box, and Kendall Graveman, who threw that pitch inside that he ended up falling off himself, went back to the same place again. And Duval was looking for it. He knew what Graveman was going to try to do. And look, it's smart pitching. If you throw a pitch like that and a guy fouls it off himself and you know you realize he had trouble getting to it and then he hurts himself, you as a pitcher, you have to go back in there. And he did. And Duval turned it around and blasted one to left field to give the Red Sox the 7-4 lead in the 10th inning. And I say he's the hero without a doubt, but I may have to back up an inning and give uh, make Nick Pavetta hero 1B. So if Duvall's 1A, Pavetta's 1B, because in the, in the ninth inning, in a tie game, Kenley Jansen comes out of the bullpen and ends up tweaking a hamstring. He gets his man to fly out to center field, but he starts limping immediately. They've got to take him out of the game. Red Sox have nobody warming up, so they go get Nick Pavetta, uh, who just pitched a bunch a few days ago, wasn't on complete rest, 
but they get him warmed up. He comes into the game and strikes out two guys. He does walk a batter, but he strikes out two guys to send the game into the 10th inning. You know, for somebody that wasn't planning on being in this game in any way, shape, or form, comes out of the bullpen on an emergency situation and gets a couple of huge outs. But, you know, and then, but because it's the Red Sox, they can't do anything easy. So they have that 7 4 lead, right? You're feeling pretty good about things. But then the bottom of the 10th inning comes and. Uh, they bring out Winkowski because now, you know, you don't want to push it with Pavetta. And you've already burned your closer who's hurt himself. So Winkowski comes on. You've got the uh, the Manfred man starting at second base. And what is what does he do? He gives up a single to McCormick, a single to Diaz, run scores. Now it's a 7-5 game. Right? And you've got runners on first and second. And nobody out. Jose Abreu comes up. He gets a huge strikeout. But then he gives up a single to Jeremy Pena. The bases are loaded with one out. And I'm like, I'm already formatting in my head my my rant on uh, on this morning about how they blew this game. Mauricio Dubon comes on as a pinch hitter. Winkowski gets him to strike out on a a terrible pitch. And then uh, they bring in Jokes as a pinch hitter. And he grounds out. And the game is over. And the Sox escape. But they tried their best. <laughs> they tried their best uh, to give it away. But look. And the Red, you know, they needed the win. There's no question about that. But the best part about it for the Red Sox was they gained ground in the wild card. Because the Blue Jays lose. And the Mariners lose. So now Boston finds themselves four games back of the final wild card, three games back of Toronto, who's ahead of them, that they have to leapfrog. And look, they still have work to do, right? They've got another game coming up today, 2 o'clock this afternoon, a matinee, and they have got to win this game today and split the series. As I said, starting this with the, the 10 games coming up with Houston and the Dodgers, they had to, at worst, split. It couldn't, I mean, you can't, it's got to be a split. It has to be. So that means they have to win today to split the four games in Houston. And then they have to take either two of three from the Dodgers at home or two of three from Houston at home and get a 500 series out of those 10 games. I mean, you know, let's not get giddy and think, you know, take two out of three from the Dodgers and then two out of three from Houston. I mean, if they do that, then you're feeling a whole hell of a lot better. But as we saw last night, it all starts with defense. And if you play defense, this team has enough pop if they if they stop giving away runs to keep themselves in it, they may not. They may not get over that hump. And there's a part of me that almost wishes that they wouldn't. You know, because I can I can envision them somehow sneaking into the playoffs, and then you know, breaking my heart. Because once they get in the playoffs, you you know, oh 
all rational thinking goes out because once they're in the playoffs, you're like, okay, we're going to the World Series, you know. So I, I almost, I almost hope they don't, so they don't break my heart because I don't believe this team has the horses to get all the way through. Matter of fact, I'm sure they don't. Uh, but defense last night was the way it's supposed to be played. And look, Alex Cora addressed. Rafi Devers' defense prior to the game yesterday with reporters because obviously everybody's talking about it. 16 errors on the season, the most by any third baseman. Uh, the, uh, the the metric that they use, defensive runs saved, I still don't understand all that. But regardless, uh, it's minus six, you know, which is just, you know, brutal. Uh, but Alex said that he talked to Rafi after the game and said to him, look, as long as I'm here, I want you to be my third baseman. I don't want talk of moving to another position. So he's trying to uh, reassure his star that he is their third baseman. That's where he's going to be. You know, don't worry about it. And look, you know, and and. In some cases, if you're a Red Sox fan, you almost have to accept that. You know, as long as the offense continues at the pace that it has been, I mean, and he has been ridiculously good the last few years, if he continues to do that, it's just a case of we may have to live with that. Until such time... As a young kid comes up from the minors that's a better third baseman, has a good stick, and then the Red Sox decide that Rafi Devers becomes their designated hitter, becomes their Justin Turner slash J.D. Martinez that they've used in that position for the last few years or the way David Ortiz was right in his career. At some point, maybe that's what Rafi Devers becomes. But for the next few years, it may just be simply a case of we just have to accept what he is. And, look, if he's going to hit 30 bombs a year, 30 bombs plus, and drive in 100-plus runs, maybe it's a good trade-off. I don't know. For somebody who loves the game as much as I do, I have a hard time watching butchers on defense. I look, uh I'm not, I was nowhere near good enough uh you know to play uh at a high level. Okay? Uh but I always from the time I was a kid I, I have always appreciated good pitching and good defense. To me that is the backbone. I would much rather watch a 2 to 1 baseball game than a 10 to 9 baseball game any day of the week. So it is hard for me sometimes to watch Devers play or to watch the Red Sox in general play and watch the poor defense. Not that I could do any better, but it's difficult to watch when you would much rather see the game played the way it was meant to be played. But as far as Alex Cora is concerned, there is not going to be any talk of moving Rafi Devers off of third base. 33 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at how the other teams in the wild card races did. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a 
Thursday morning, another hot one down here in the deep south in the Atlanta area today, which is just a little bit south here. They're t- calling for uh, 96 today, 98 tomorrow. Uh, fortunately, here in the mountains, we stay a few degrees cooler, but uh, uh, this, this, this heat wave this summer across the country has just been uh, unbelievable. Um, all right, other games from last night. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, Jack Flaherty was supposed to take the mound for the Orioles last night against the Blue Jays. He was scratched uh, before the game. Uh, basically, he said he just didn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, there was no, uh, there's no diagnosis of anything necessarily being wrong, but just said he didn't feel right. Uh, so, uh, Dean Kremer was the substitute pitcher last night, and because of their schedule, um, he was supposed to pitch the series finale today. But he hadn't pitched since last Wednesday anyway, so he was on full rest, so it worked out just fine. He comes in and substitutes uh, for Flaherty. It was great. Uh, six shutout innings, struck out five, didn't walk anybody. And uh, the Baltimore Orioles beat the Toronto Blue Jays 7 to nothing. Uh, Kevin Gaussman, former Oriole, got the start for the Blue Jays and uh, was fine. Uh, he pitched uh, six innings, only gave up a couple of runs. Uh, but Garrett Richards got torched for five runs uh, in two-thirds of an inning in the eighth inning, and the Orioles pulled away to win this one easily. Uh, for the Orioles, look, they were uh, uh, in a little bit of a, well, a brief two-game losing streak. No reason to panic. But uh, uh, they maintain their two-game lead in the American League East now, 78-48, and 48, 30 games over 500. Uh, they win the season series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Kremer retired the first nine guys he faced in this one uh, until uh, George Springer had a single in the fourth inning. Uh, for Mountcastle, or excuse me, for Mountcastle, uh, Anthony Santander, his uh, two home runs gives him 23 on the season. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle also uh, with a big game. Uh, for the Orioles as he continues to uh, impress. He seems to get better and better uh, for the Orioles. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, one for five, a little bit quiet. Uh, he's cooled off a little bit from uh, uh, from where he was. Adley Rutschman, the catcher, now leading off for the Baltimore Orioles. I'm trying to remember the last catcher. Uh, you don't see catchers leading off very often. I remember when I was a young kid, I think it was Brian Downing, who used to play for the uh, – then California Angels. I think he used to lead off for them. And if I'm not mistaken, John Wathen might have led off a few times for the Kansas City Royals back in the day. But you do not see catchers uh, in the leadoff slot very often. Uh, but And I'll tell you what, you know, you I, I was thinking about this, and everybody's amazed at what the Orioles have done. And, and people think that they are way ahead of where they should be. But when you look at this this lineup, that the Orioles are putting out there every day. And to think about the fact that this is a homegrown lineup. So not only are they winning, but they develop most of these kids. They're not paying them a ton of money. I mean, it's, there's going to be a reckoning coming up at some point in a few years when you've got to pay these guys. But when you look at guys like Mountcastle and Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and uh, Cedric Mullins. I mean, these are guys that, you know, unless you're a Baltimore Oriole fan, you don't even recognize who they are, right? Uh, So, like I said, there's going to be a time in the next few years where they're going to have some decisions to make about how high they want their payroll to be. But make no mistake, folks, the Baltimore Orioles are not a small market team. 
So if the Angelos, Angelos family wants to open up the purse strings, they could keep these guys in Baltimore for a long, long time. But with the, you know, with the, the way finances are in Major League Baseball, that makes it very, very difficult. Uh, there aren't there aren't a lot of Steve Cohens out there that can afford three hundred and fifty million dollars a year uh, for payroll. But then again, look how that worked out for him. Uh, the series finale is today. Jose Barrios is going to get the start for the Blue Jays. He is nine and eight with a three three nine ERA. The last time he faced the Orioles. Uh, he held them scoreless for seven and two-thirds. That was back in the middle of June. Kyle Gibson, uh, 12 wins on the season, uh, will tow the rubber for the Baltimore Orioles in the finale. Uh, the Toronto, uh, excuse me, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays stay hot, uh, but for the second straight game, they had to rally to beat the Colorado Rockies. According to Elias, they beat the Rockies last night 6-5 in 10 innings. According to Elias Sports Bureau, um, it's the 10th time in franchise history that Tampa Bay has won consecutive uh, games when trailing entering the eighth inning. But on the other side of that, Colorado uh, became the second team to lose two straight games that it led going into the eighth inning or later and allowed seven or more runs in the eighth inning or later. Uh, so the Rockies, look, we know the Rockies aren't very good. But they played well yesterday, but Tampa comes up with a couple of runs in the ninth to tie it, and then Brandon Lau, an RBI single in the tenth inning, and the Tampa Bay Rays win this one 6-5. to five. Pete Fairbanks gets the win uh, with the perfect tenth inning, uh, his second win of the season uh, in Look, they needed him back in the worst way. Aaron Savali got the, got the start for Tampa, went five innings and was okay. Struck out nine over those five innings, but he did give up three runs and four hits. Um, but uh, uh, Tampa stays hot. They stay as the number one wild card. They have a five-game lead as the number one wild card right now ahead of Houston. They remain just two games behind the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, that one may go right down to, you know, to the wire. And it would not shock me at all. I mean, we talked about this yesterday with Wander Franco out for the rest of the year. It doesn't seem to make any difference to this team. They just don't care. They just they just win. Uh, I got to look. We talked yesterday that big win. Last night's attendance, they got 12,001 people last night. So that's up about 1,000 people from the night before. But the attendance in Tampa continues to be horrific. Absolutely horrific. Uh, the other wild card game that the Red Sox were keeping an eye on yesterday, uh, the Chicago White Sox and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Tim Anderson uh, stole third and scored the winning run on a throwing error by the Mariners in the 10th inning. And the White Sox end up beating the Seattle Mariners 5-4. to four. They snapped the Mariners' eight-game winning streak and uh, do the Boston Red Sox a favor uh, by winning that one. Uh, Peralta gets the win with a scoreless 10th inning of relief, uh, but uh, the Mariners throw this one away. And again, you know, that's what I talked about, defense. It's all about defense. I mean, it was a simple case of uh, Cal Raleigh, the Seattle catcher. Tim Anderson was on second base. They went to try to pick him off, and he throws uh, – he took the throw. It was late, so he goes to third, and then they try to throw to third to get him, and uh, J.P. Crawford 
throws it away. I actually think it went off of Anderson's helmet, and then he ends up scampering home for the winning run, and the White Sox win it in the bottom of the 10th. So the Seattle Mariners now still have the third wild card, but they are just a game ahead of Toronto. Look, they've still won 8 of 10. They're still one of the hottest teams in baseball, but at the end of the day, uh, they've got the Toronto Blue Jays breathing down their neck. The Mariners are off today, and then they open up a weekend series with the Kansas City Royals. So if you're a Seattle fan, you're think, feeling pretty good about yourself. And if you're a Red Sox fan, you're thinking, great, we got the Dodgers this weekend, and the team that we got to chase down has the Kansas City Royals. You know, And one of the things with the Red Sox, you know, talking about how they, you know, 500 at worst, keep in mind, the Boston Red Sox have the toughest schedule of any team still in the playoff hunt left for the rest of the season. The Red Sox have the toughest schedule of anybody else in playoff contention. And uh, the White Sox start a four-game series this weekend. They're looking forward to that. They have the <laughs> Oakland Athletics this weekend. Um, we mentioned yesterday that the White Sox had dismissed their general manager and uh, head of baseball operations, and uh, so they are on the search for a new front office. And now, one they did make a move yesterday. Um, Tony Larusa is coming back to the Chicago White Sox, not in an official capacity per se, but they are bringing him back as a consultant. Now, of course, he was the uh, White Sox manager for a couple of years. Announced his retirement from baseball uh, in uh, last year in October. But uh, the White Sox have asked him to come back. He's 78 years old. And uh, they're going to bring him in right now probably just to kind of fill the gap while the uh, uh, White Sox go on their search for who is going to be their new GM and head of baseball operations. They have assistant GMs there, obviously. Um, It is unlikely one of those guys is going to get the job. I think the White Sox are looking to completely flush the regime and start again, and they are going to use Tony La Russa, uh, as one of their resources as they try to do that. It's 45 minutes past here. We've got to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. So uh, with all the excitement around the American League yesterday, uh, there was a collective gasp perhaps, uh, when the news came down yesterday that Shohei Otane is done pitching for the rest of 2023. He uh, started the opener of the doubleheader yesterday against the Cincinnati Reds and had to leave the game in the second inning. Um, And... Between innings, they uh, did an examination, and they have determined that Otani has torn or has a tear in the UCL in his elbow, and it is possible that he is going to have to undergo going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery for the second time in his career. If you remember, he had it in late 2018. Uh, right after he won the AL Rookie of the Year. And uh, it is possible that he is heading in that direction again. What is maybe even more amazing, 
was after that was determined in between games, he chose to play in the nightcap as the designated hitter. Had a double uh, in that game. Um, and if – look, the Angels aren't going anywhere. And the Cincinnati Reds weren't sad to see that happen because the Reds end up sweeping the doubleheader from the Angels. So the Reds uh, stay right now in the third wild card position, a half a game ahead of San Francisco and Arizona, uh, and three and a half games behind Milwaukee in the NL Central. These Cincinnati Reds have come out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of it you can put right at the feet of Ellie De La Cruz, the young kid that they brought up. Um, who had uh, a couple of hits, including a home run, and six runs batted in in the opening game of that doubleheader. Um, and then had another hit in uh, in the nightcap. But I think the most significant thing is here is that Otani is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And we were hearing, you know, people were throwing out ridiculously high numbers of what, Otani could get on the open market as a two-way player. Well, if he has to have Tommy John surgery, now he's going to get a second opinion, so there's a chance that he won't. However, if he does, that precludes him from pitching for at least a year, if not 18 months. So if he signs somewhere next year, He's not going to pitch for them in 2024 and perhaps parts of the first part of 2025. Now, uh, after he had his Tommy John surgery in 2018, he still worked as the team's designated hitter after that. So, you know, much like Bryce Harper did this year for the Phillies after his Tommy John surgery, um, you know, he started working as a DH and he's playing a little bit at first base. But, Bryce Harper is not a two-way player, and the attraction to Otani, I mean, he's a great hitter, but the attraction obviously is the aspect of him being able to do both, pitch and hit. So how much money does that cost him in free agency if that is, is indeed the case? I mean, look, uh, he has now been in the major leagues since 2018. Now, he took 2019 off after the Tommy John surgery and uh, as far as pitching, but he still played 106 games in the field and had 384 at-bats after the Tommy John surgery, much like Bryce Harper is going to do this year. And if you look at it, I mean, this guy in six seasons has hit 171 home runs. He's averaging almost 30 home runs a season. And the only, you know, the only reason that number is down is he only had 153 at bats in 2020. And he only had seven home runs. Otherwise, his numbers would be more ridiculous. He's had over 40 home runs in two seasons already. He's got 44 this year and 91 runs batted in. And it looks like and he's hitting 304, which is a career high. You know, and it looks like uh, Based on what we saw last night when he got the diagnosis, he, he, he was the DH in game number two. So it looks like he will probably continue to play for the rest of the year. Although, 
it might be smart to get the surgery now, get a jump start on the recovery process. So we'll have to see what they decide to do, and that's a big conversation he's probably going to have to have with his agent. But this injury, you know, look, it, it goes. things are different in the major leagues. In, in Japan, uh, much more time off, uh, less travel, less wear and tear on the body, and it could just be that this is why. You don't see people doing what Shohei Ohtani does. And it's it's entirely possible if he has another Tommy John surgery that he never is a regular part of a rotation again. Doesn't mean he won't continue to pitch, but maybe he's pitching twice a month. You know, the days of him th- making 28 starts like he did in 2022 might be over. I mean, I hope not because it's, I mean, it's entertaining as hell to watch. But there's no question that this is going to affect the free agent market. And maybe what it does, perhaps it opens the door for the Angels to be able to keep him because perhaps teams like the Yankees or the Dodgers or whoever won't throw out ridiculous amounts of money because they will begin to think that perhaps we're just getting a designated hitter. Now, we're getting, you know, you'd be getting a good designated hitter. Don't get me wrong. But perhaps not uh, for money that is in the stratosphere, which is what a lot of people were theorizing. So we shall have to see. The other bad news that the Angels got yesterday, in addition to Otani, is Mike Trout, who just came off the injured list after that broken hand is going back on the injured list to try to continue his recovery as he has experienced some pain. So uh, you lose Otani from your rotation and Mike Trout from your lineup in the same day. That's a that's a tough day uh, for the Angels. Uh, other games of note last night: the Brewers come back against the uh, Twins bullpen. The Brewers win eight to seven in ten innings. Willie Adamas uh, a homer. Uh, earlier in the game and then singles home the tying run and then scored the winning run uh, in the 10th. So the Brewers uh, rally for that one. So the Brewers keep their three-and-a-half game lead in the NL Central. And uh, the Minnesota Twins still with a a four-and-a-half game lead in the AL Central, but uh, just three games over 500. There's no wild card coming out of there. So, uh, you know, obviously that's something of concern for them. And then the Twins have to play the Texas Rangers this weekend, a four-game home series against the Rangers, uh, while the Brewers uh, will play a three-game home series starting on Friday against the San Diego Padres. Uh, the Padres trying to stay in the hunt, still six games back of the wild card, uh, but they get a good performance last night. They shut out the Marlins 4-0. Uh, Seth Lugo with six scoreless innings. Xander Bogarts with a home run. Uh, as they win that one. Uh, the Yankees snapped their nine-game losing streak last night. They beat the Nationals 9-1. to Aaron Judge, uh, three home runs in that one. Uh, other wild card action to pay attention to, too. The Giants rally to beat the Phillies 8-6. to Paul DeYoung, uh, his debut with the Giants after being released by Toronto. Uh, a two-run homer in the fourth inning and then a two-run single in the tenth to win it. So the San Francisco Giants now just a half a game back of Cincinnati for that last wild card. The Phillies, the number one wild card, three games clear 
of the Chicago Cubs. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Dan Zampano going to join us tomorrow, going to give us his predictions for the NFL season. You will not want to miss that one. We leave you this morning with some music from Don Henley, a duet with the late, great Merle Haggard. It's called The Cost of Living. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.